and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, recruiting, basketball, other sports. We got it all here. Podcast entering episode 11, which means that we are past Cincinnati and we are looking ahead to Air Force, kind of a lull in Michigan's schedule before the conference play starts, but still uh, two very important games for Michigan to kind of iron out itself as a team and what it can do. So certainly some interesting storylines to watch. If you're new to the podcast, we take some questions first. You, if you want to contribute to the questions, michigan.247sports.com slash board. We usually post a thread there, fielding questions. Then we do a little bit of other you know, key topics, things that are that are being discussed about Michigan football or Michigan sports as, as those seasons pick up. Uh, and then we preview the next week. So it should be fun. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hole are on the other line with me. And one thing we like to do if we can is start it off with an off-topic question, get people loosened up, break the ice. Uh, we got one this week. It was from BVA Neck, uh, who said, what is your favorite fall pastime besides football? I have to think about it, because football's a pretty big part of part of my pastime. Uh, so, Steve, we can start with you. Your favorite fall pastime not related to football? Uh, probably, like, going up north. I don't know. I, I, that's a hard one. That That is a hard question, because... You guys know, I mean, so much of our time, you know, I basically, I basically say goodbye to people at the end of August and say, I'll see you in February. Like, you know, because, you know, it's makes, it's more and more difficult to, you know, have a lot of free time and stuff. So, um, I would say having you two on board though, has been great for me personally, though. I do actually get some pre, it used to be like awful, uh, from September to February cause I was pretty much the only one doing anything. So, um, so in that regard, I don't know. We usually take a fall trip up to Traverse City every like October, November. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case this year because unfortunately I have two weddings to attend this football season. Thanks a lot to friends and family for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not a big like – I don't like carving pumpkins or doing stupid stuff like that. I just uh, – you know, You're maybe, so negative. Uh, <laughs> No, I just it's, it's yeah, not really very much fun. I just think it's kind of dumb. I, mean, I don't really have a like have a kid or something that like would make that an enjoyable experience. I guess so. Um, she takes care of all the pumpkin carving, all that decoration crap. So um, mm-hmm. probably yeah, probably like taking like a nice fall trip up to Traverse City. Been doing that for a long time actually. So uh, probably the best one I could think of off the top of my head. What about you, Isaiah? Well, as Steve said, it's pretty difficult to be able to have any kind of time living an hour away from Ann Arbor and being there uh, four to five days a week. Uh, and then, you know, having the other two days kind of makes it very, very difficult to be able to do much of anything other than uh, football things. Uh, so I try to find things like I ride my motorcycle a lot until the weather gets too cold to do so. Uh, whether, you know, whether it be to, you know, actually going to media availabilities or just around, uh, I mean, same same thing as in the summertime. I work out of a lot of cigar bars and things like that. So a lot of there's really nothing that's like, oh, I like to go be able to go and do this because I just haven't had time the last couple of years to to honestly do any of that during the fall. So it's really kind of the same. Uh, yeah, I don't really think there's much more than that. I just I got an Xbox recently, so probably playing a little bit of that here and there. I'm terrible at video games, but I'm trying. So that's probably it. 
Well, I, I do want to echo that football is very, very consuming. Uh, you know, when you work for a site whose name suggests that you are working, you know, 24-7. <laughs> uh, so, no, I mean, in, in that, I'm not just saying that to, you know, toot our own horns, but we, you know, I, I think none of us really take full off days, even if we don't necessarily write a story, we're working on other stories and we're constantly thinking about football. And uh, hopefully that translates into, into content that our listeners enjoy. I, I, yeah, I guess I just really like to be outside. Like I love, I mean, I, I know it's technically still football, but like I love playing football with my friends. Uh, I'm really into corn mazes, which is kind of dorky and lame, but um, I'm a pretty big fan of that. Uh, bonfires. Um, but honestly, like... Yeah, good, I, good fall fire. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. A good fall fire is a nice uh, pastime. I'm with you on the weather, too, all the way. I think this is the best time of the year weather-wise. So. Well, I'm I'm a summer guy, but I think for Ann Arbor, probably because of football... And that's that's one thing we should also note, that like we do our jobs because we enjoy them. So like part of our favorite fall pastime is having you know, tons of stuff to write about and, you know, really going in depth on, on football stuff and being a part of the experience. So, I, I mean, that's probably my actual favorite fall pastime, but I, I also, for some reason, well, there's a few reasons that are pretty obvious, but Ann Arbor is very abuzz in the fall, uh, even, even away from just the game. So it's, it's very fun to be in town. And, you know, I, I, I'm realizing I probably live too close to the band right now, but I can hear them practicing and, you know, playing two-hand touch football or tackle football or going for a run. Uh, it's it's just a lot of, lot of fun. I'm, I did not used to be a fall guy. I, I, like, hated anything that wasn't summer. But I'm, it's starting to grow on me. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think part of that is because we get to do a job that we enjoy, which is immerse ourselves in football. That said, our second question is related to something that will come up more later in the fall. But Justin Sane eight one two asked a hockey question, so maybe you guys uh, won't won't necessarily weigh in on this. But do you guys see a Harbaugh like turnaround for Mel Pearson? I think that is going to be a, a fun place to be this season. So the obvious short answer is yeah. I mean they're going to have much like when Jim Harbaugh came and, and had the Michigan football team. I mean, Michigan still had more, had better recruiting than most of their competitors. You know, it still was a very talented school that has a lot of rich football history. But hockey's the same way. They're going to have as many or more NHL prospects on their team than basically everyone except for the two Boston schools. I mean, everyone else is going to be inferior from a talent and recruiting perspective. So there, it shouldn't, I mean, just like Harbaugh said, there's no turnarounds at Michigan. There's just doing better. Uh, I don't think they need to necessarily correct the culture. I think the style of play needs to be fixed. Uh, I think they really need to stop. Uh, for for those of you that don't follow hockey that much, they they were very much like, um, I guess a good analogy could be like being a very home run heavy b- baseball team or like maybe Penn State's football team where they're really thriving on the big play. Hockey, it was like, unless they had a Kyle Connor come in and do these ridiculous goals that have never happened before in college hockey, um, they weren't really that good. I mean, their their possession rate was bad. Their shot rate was pretty bad. Corsi, Fenwick, um, you know, the advanced stats as well. And I think Mel Pearson, that happened to be his bread, bread and butter at Michigan Tech, is that he was like very, 
they had a very methodical, consistent offense and methodical and consistent defense. And so I think meshing Michigan's talent with his, well, one, his experience at Michigan, he was a pretty successful assistant, to say the least, but also uh, adding a little bit more stability. No one's wondering if the coach is going to be around you know, a year from now, so they have to listen to him. Uh, I think he's going to probably force them to to play a little more consistently, a little more like winners. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they'll be good. The Big Ten's going to be loaded. Uh, it seems like every Big Ten team has top 25 potential, save for maybe Michigan State, but they just hired, you know, the, the former U.S. National Development Program coach as their head coach. Uh, it seems like a really really solid coach, but Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State are all doing really well, and obviously Minnesota does well every year. I also think, Justin, that Michigan, I don't think people realized how young they were last season. Uh, they were they were the youngest team in the country, uh, and they had 11 freshmen for the first time in 11 or 12 years, and they didn't have the typical seniors they're used to having. So, yeah, I think the team will just instantly get better, and then I think, I think Mel Pearson's addition is going to make them even better. So, I I guess it depends on what a Harbaugh like turnaround means. I think they'll probably go the equivalent of ten and three. Like I would expect them to make the NCAA tournament, but maybe not be a top five team yet, and maybe not be a Big Ten champion yet. That said, I mean Josh Norris, Will Lockwood, uh, Quinn Hughes. They've got they've got some really talented guys and goal goaltending was such a strength for them last season even though the record didn't show it uh, I think I think they they're instantly a, a top ten team again it's just a matter of how that falls in in the Big Ten play uh, yeah I mean we'll have a lot more on hockey as we get closer I think media days in a couple weeks so we'll start getting into that uh, hoping for some really good hockey coverage uh, hopefully our our readers appreciate that and and we'll get to more but we'll we'll head back to football um hey, and, no, wait dan dan cole yeah is michigan state's new head coach he is uh the former head coach of my hometown muskegon oh Fury. okay i was gonna say can i know you he, can you feel it yeah <laughs> i was gonna say i know he coached the u.s national development team but i i guess he's also got steve's yeah. stamp of approval too he won a championship with the Fury. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, uh, yeah. Wisconsin hired what was it Guy Gadowski, um, and then I think it was Guy Gadowski. Anyway, whoever they have is really good, and then it seems like Michigan State made a much better hire than their previous coach, and so it's it's a pretty loaded conference. And they added Notre Dame, who went to the Frozen Four last season. So you might be looking at a conference where that has seven teams, and five of them are top twenty-five teams. So it's it's going to be tough. I uh, I so that's that's where my hesitancy is, Justin. Uh, but I do think the team is going to be a top twenty caliber team. I just don't know where that translates into the NCAA tournament and things like that. But much like the hockey team, the football team is uh, reeling in some some recruits. They continue to be a a hot recruiting target. I don't know if anyone knew that uh, people like to go to Michigan play some football. But Steve. Uh, we skipped you last week uh, by a little bit by mistake, and also because we had a lot of Florida topics to discuss. Uh, we're gonna try to get you some weekly recruiting insight on this podcast for our, for our listeners. And you know, recruiting is a little bit slow right now, 
but there is some news. Uh, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, so I just posted the update on the Wolverine twenty four seven message board, now known as oh, now known as the board, the board, the board. I don't think that got enough attention when we finally changed it after people were complaining for like literally years that we didn't have a different message board name. But anyway, uh, Mikhail Salahuddin, USC running back commitment, uh, said he's going to official visit to Michigan. Probably a name I probably kind of kept off my radar for a while. I'd kind of forgotten about him. Uh, forgotten him, forgotten about him in the fact that I didn't think, figured he was locked into USC. Uh, he still says he is publicly not necessarily the case from what I've been told. Uh, I think there's a chance that he stays closer. He's a D.C. native, stays relatively closer to home. Uh, He'll be at North Carolina this weekend. And then Maryland, obviously, still involved. As I mean, they're going to be with any DMV area kid until signing day. And then Florida. uh, I think this could be one Michigan becomes a significant player in. I mean, it's been kind of, you know, it's been really hard to figure out who they're really recruiting hard at running back uh, because, especially the two mysterious guys in James Graham and Michael Barrett are both really, really quiet kids. Um, again, as it's becoming more and more common that kids are becoming more and more quiet with reporters, uh, you know, it's difficult to know how hard they were really recruiting each guy. I can't really tend to believe that they're not really recruiting either guy that hard anymore. Uh, I think we'd have heard more about him. I'd have heard more about him. Uh, Sella Hudden, kind of a guy, really, you know, Christian Turner, already committed a guy I think you turn on his film and you have to be satisfied with what you've seen so far his senior film uh maybe a guy you know don't hold me to this but could be a guy that could see a bump I would imagine plays at a really difficult level in Georgia uh, and has been tearing it up so far so uh you know it, it wouldn't surprise me. they always try to want to take two if they can and uh Salahun would be a nice compliment to Turner uh more of an all-purpose more of a dual threat i call him running back you know a guy that can receive the ball uh and and run the ball obviously turner made it actually turner has a couple nice grabs in his film too but sal hudden's more your classic you know maybe even a guy you could split out a little more of a chris evans type player so um i guess you could say he's back on the radar right now be an interesting one again i mean that's kind of an quote an interesting one is really yeah. about 20 of them right now but um as as there always are but you can kind of add him to the list and really i mean like i said as of right now could be the top merging as the top targeting and at running back going forward i mean it's just been uh, you know most of the other guys are either they are verbally committed elsewhere or michigan wasn't recruiting them hard or michigan's not recruiting him and they're not committed like i talked about with graham and mm-hmm. and barrett so that's okay. that for now Hopefully, have some more updates coming up in the near future. Is hey, I'm hoping things ramp up too. You know, I'm getting kind of bored uh, <laughs> recruiting right now. I'm hoping things ramp up here in the near future, but and I'm sure they will. But you know, as of now, it's just like it's like slim pickings out there. Yeah, I was gonna say not not a ton of people that that are really significant into the into the Michigan recruiting stage. You know, visiting these weekends and Michigan seems to be taking it slow. Uh, but we will have more updates as things go on. Of course, you can read all of it. Uh, first, at michigan.247sports.com, Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hole. Seems like even even during the slow periods, you're always going to have updates ready, uh, and then obviously things will ramp up in the fall. 
And this is a little bit related to to recruiting because it's about perception with a with a team that often recruits against Michigan. Uh, but U M Farn N asks, what do you make of the QB situation down in Columbus with recruits calling for the backup and seemingly some players on the team agreeing? Uh, does it surprise you coming from that program? How? Would should a coach handle that? And do you ever see something like that happening at Michigan? So for those of you who don't know, JT Barrett not off to the best start this season. I mean, it's it's I I'd put him a hair below. Well, he he might be a a, a couple shelves below Wilton Spate so far. But completion percentage is low. Uh, there's some misses that are that are pretty open that I think some people thought that he should have. Uh, his running hasn't been you know what it was his freshman year uh, they have played pretty good teams but i think i think people expected a little bit more with kevin wilson getting involved and jt barrett being a fifth year guy and i guess the the more dramatic thing that um farnan is talking about is recruits were saying you know such and such should get the ball or such and such to do this which is a very puzzling thing isaiah we're going to let you go first on this one i mean i, I guess first and foremost what how how does this sort of thing happen because ohio state for the most part you know regularly solid stable dominant team in the big 10 you know and yes they lost oklahoma but generally speaking you know kind of a program a lot of other programs are looking up at and yet there are these internal uh dramatics and perhaps we're over we're over discussing it but it seems like something something is off uh, and I guess, I mean, I don't know. Are you are you as surprised as I am that this is all happening? Only somewhat. I'm I'm surprised that uh, the JT Barrett hasn't been able to take that next step forward. Uh, you have to look at the year in which he emerged. He was surrounded by a lot of uh, a lot of really high end talent, and not to say that the guys that he's surrounded by now aren't, but they're unproven talent as of as of now. And I know that's something we've talked about quite a bit in regards to Michigan. But they, they're, you know, who's catching the ball for him, and and you know that the big thing is he's not looking downfield. It kind of seems like they're they're keeping his legs in check as well. They're not asking him to do as much running, which seems to me like kind of like a mistake. Uh, not really sure what, why they're not being more active at using his dual threat capabilities. But and we saw a little bit of it last year. It's not a ton of, su- of a surprise because the last couple of years actually they. Barrett hasn't been really the same since that first year in which he was playing with just an insane amount of talent. And it's, it's been just kind of the same. There hasn't been a progression. Uh, It's something you expect to see from, from him, but you know, they have had a couple different offensive coordinators come in. That could be a part of it. Having, having a guy like Kevin Wilson come in and install his, his system. That's, you sit there and say, yeah, you'd expect a lot more, but keep in mind, he he runs a pretty complex system. It might just take a little bit of time. This is, it's early in the season. Even in his freshman year, they they kind of looked the same. His redshirt freshman year, they looked the same. They lost to Virginia Tech, and then they rolled. So it's that, to me, isn't as much of a surprise. Now, the recruits going and trashing him on social media, that's, uh, that's just immaturity. Uh, I was kind of surprised to see – when Kirk Herbstreet called them out and basically said, you know, probably shouldn't be doing this, and then they started calling out Kirk, that's not exactly a good situation. That's 
that I don't I don't really know what you do as a head coach there. Uh, I mean, you're bringing these guys in, you still want these guys to come, but uh, I don't. I'm not going to go as far as to say that it's like a character issue or anything like that because I think that's a that's a bit much. But it it is definitely something that you could imagine a little bit more from from guys who aren't on the team. Obviously, you're seeing some of Ohio State's teammates uh, or uh, his Ohio State teammates speaking up on his behalf. I saw Tate Martell uh, said something like, "Unless you're you know unless you're in the locker room, then you don't know." That sounds awfully familiar. I just think it's I think it's a little early to to panic it, 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 on Ohio State's end, but I I don't know what you do to keep keep the recruits from sounding off because there's really nothing you can do about that in my opinion. I, I think they're it'd be better served if they were to probably not opine about that publicly. It doesn't serve <laughs> yeah. anybody. <laughs> that's that's it, fair it, to say. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. That's uh, it's definitely an issue now that you're getting a fracture with, you know, not JT Barrett's potential future teammates, but some of those guys like Tate Martell are watching and they're seeing that. And these are guys that are going to be in the locker room with them next year. Uh, they're clamoring for, I believe, Dwayne Haskins. So I, I don't know, but it's, I, I probably would say that Barrett's likely the best option they have. Very similar to, to here, uh, early in the season just kind of they have to let it play out does he definitely looks beatable right now and he's kind of looked that way the last couple of years but he still managed to rebound when needed steve i want to i want to get your thoughts and you can i mean isaiah brought up a good point what exactly is urban meyer supposed to do here because you don't want to necessarily lose your recruiting leverage or or anything but you also it can't possibly be a good sign for those recruits and and the relationship with the team if they are you know, calling out coaching decisions or, or players that are on the team. I, I'm i kind of at a loss. I don't really know what he's supposed to do. I mean, I, I think most people would think that you just say goodbye to him, but you don't necessarily want to be that kind of team that's just going to pull scholarship offers. So I guess what's what's your take on it, and it's especially um, knowing how Urban Meyer has handled it so far and maybe what, what he could be doing differently? I mean, I think the... Uh... The recruiting stuff, I mean, Ohio State will and can win football games without, like, Jackson Carmen, for instance. Uh, Yeah, he's an uber-talented young player, uh, would be a great asset to wherever he commits to, but, you know, these programs aren't built on the back of a single player. So, uh, you know, I, I the biggest thing to me, as far as, like, how Urban Meyer's handling it, just keep winning. I mean, they lost one game uh, against what, I mean, you watch the game, Oklahoma just looks really good. Like, you can't take that away from Ohio State. Uh, yeah, Barrett's definitely struggling at quarterback. Much like Michigan, though. I mean, Urban Meyer's won, what, three? Three national championships? Yeah, three I mean, national titles. What kind of fan? It's just that, that whole thing just, I just it never ceases to amaze me that a fan, you know, random Twitter guy, whether it's a recruit or a whatever is going to question, you know, I mean, these guys want to win more than anything. I mean, you know, urban Meyer probably his has his eyes on hoping to maybe catch Nick Saban before he retires. I mean, these guys are always, they're always, you know, doing whatever they can to win, you know? So I think the winning solves everything. Well, how here's the other thing too. Ohio state's recruiting class right now is ridiculous. It's not hurting them. There's a couple kids that are making weird public comments about the Ohio State job, but they still have like 
I mean, I'm looking at their list right now. They have, what, double-digit prospects in the top 100 <laughs> that are committed to them right now in the yeah. 2018 class. I mean, talent is never going to be the issue there. Whether it's a character thing, uh, you know, I do think seeing guys speak out and make comments. So, I mean, even you look at Mike Weber, like with the comment to Baker Mayfield, I don't know if that was like a threat or like, you know, oh, you guys waited till we went in the locker room, you know, to do that thing, the flag thing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's always, you know, a lot of times with elite talent comes, you know, there can be a, some in certain instances anywhere too, but there can be a sacrifice of character, I would assume, which is why I would still think, Again, I don't know Jackson, like Jackson Carmen's one, I guess I keep thinking of in this situation who had the, I would say the nerve to speak back to Kirk Herbstreet, who I honestly think was just trying to kind of give these kids some advice because uh, he's actually played college football and actually been there and done it and knows what goes on in the locker room, uh, you know, in these high pressure, you know, programs, big situations. Uh, for him to speak back to him. I don't know the kid well enough to know what his character is like. Maybe he's just a passionate kid, but um, it's, it, it's not a good look though. Um, you know, but he's so he's, I still see, you know, he's too talented. It's not like, I don't think Ohio State's going to like drop him off their board or anything like that. You know, if he ends up elsewhere, it's because it's where he wants to go. So, and whether it be this situation is what drives him elsewhere. So be it. But, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I still think Ohio State's going to be fine. I just, you can see some chinks in the armor, though. Uh, it's hard not to, uh, you know, the way that they've looked offensively. Really, even going back to the Michigan, would Michigan have like 21 tackles for a loss or something ridiculous in that game? I mean, they. It was Michigan double digits. Had, I don't think it was 20, but. Well, they had eight sacks, didn't they? Yeah. Alone? I think it was I mean, like 13 you know, or 14 TFLs. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I don't know where the number 21 came from, actually. Um, but. You know, there's there have been some deficiencies offensively, you know, for Ohio State for a while now. Whether in, I don't think it's just a quarterback thing. I, you know, I don't think their offensive line has been particularly great. Um, you know, and and J.K. Dobbins, I think he does. I think he does look like a better player than Mike Weber did last year. You know, we'll see how that develops. But Barrett's definitely one of the issues. But just like Michigan. I don't know who fans think they are to question these guys. I mean, these guys are, know what's going on more than anything. I'm not saying you can't question. I think it's more, if you're a fan, you're more apt to being comfortable maybe questioning a play call or questioning a the timing of a timeout or clock management more than you are like the actual use of personnel because these guys have been practicing with these kids for months and hours on hours on hours, you know, so uh you know, I don't know. It's a weird situation, though. I don't, I don't remember ever seeing anything like it where you have uncommitted prospects like making like weird comments. And then, yeah, like a uh, who was the one? Was it Woodbay, the committed kid also like getting in on it, which was really bizarre because Woodbay almost flipped to Oklahoma like two months ago, which was which makes it even more bizarre uh, considering he's an Ohio State commit after they lose to Oklahoma, like talking you know, like getting into it about who the starting quarterback is when, yeah, I mean, there was a legit chance he was going to flip to Oklahoma a couple months ago. So uh, just kind of bizarre. I do not think it would happen at Michigan, though. I don't think there's a chance that you would see that happen at Michigan, to be honest with you. Uh, because Harbaugh just shuts it down or because? Yeah, and that's where I think there's a difference in, like I said, I I don't know how to say this. I think people may take it, what I'm saying, too far. But like I said, we're like sometimes having a ton of talent whether it's 
recruits committed or just the players on your roster, like where you can, there are certain situations where character is sacrificed. Um, you know, I, I didn't really want to go there, but I mean, think about, look at a lot of the guys at Ohio State that have graduated under Meyer who've gotten in trouble with the law since they've been in the NFL. The guys that have gotten in trouble on the team, I mean, Adolphus Washington, Tracy Sprinkle, JT Barrett, you know, the whole Ezekiel Elliott thing. I know he was absolved uh, as far as the NFL goes, but I don't think it was his first instance of like getting in trouble since he has, uh, you know, been in Dallas. So, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't think it would happen at Michigan, especially I don't think you'd well, you see the difference in just the way the teams are handling the quarterback thing right now. I mean, yeah. we've written how many articles this week about how the players are not just standing behind Spate, but are like adamantly standing behind him, yeah. like going on the off- going on the offensive to stand behind him. Didn't really get that feel in Columbus, um, you know, for whatever reason. So yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think you know when people say like, "Oh, such blank recruiting drama couldn't happen at Michigan," I think it always could. You know, I but I think I do feel like Harbaugh is a little bit um he would be someone that would drop well, maybe not, but I I, I imagine given yeah. given yeah. how quickly he drops players as far as like you know, if you commit a crime. You know, like I, yeah. I don't know about that though, because like look at Aubrey Solomon, because uh, it's kind of a similar similar situation. Oh, you're right. There. Yeah. yeah. But with the I, I Michigan do, thing? Yeah, I mean, it's I was exactly there. Like, I, was in, I was in San Antonio when that happened, and the the initial reaction was like, "Wow, well, what the heck is that all about?" But then, I mean, probably less than twenty four hours later, it was pretty much known that he was like just kind of joking. I don't want to say that as saying like, you know, we. It was a situation where I, I, my initial thought was like, "Okay, like, you know, I, I don't necessarily think he's going to go to Michigan," but then it was less than a day later where it was kind of like, no, he was totally kidding. And in my mind still, I was kind of like, well, I don't think you'd say that about a school you're going to go to, but that isolated incident is that he was joking. And that's what everybody down in San Antonio said for whatever that's worth. Like, you know, Michigan never considered moving yeah. on there, but I think it's cause they had a, they obviously knew what was going on in his recruitment. I think at, the odd thing about that is I think Michigan led and was leading when he said that like that's what was kind of weird about it you know and I, he was with a bunch of georgia kids who were actually a a lot of fun to be around that week they were really but they were they're very outspoken but like kind of in a sense of humor type way they were like joking around con- richard lecount for the place for georgia now notori johnson like those guys were very uh i don't even know the right word to describe them but they were pretty funny kids to be around and i think that they were all just I don't know, BSing, I guess would be the best way to yeah. put it, but I don't no, know. But, but he's right. I mean, you know, a talented player is a talented player. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to tell, but I do think that Michigan has handled the Wilton Spate. We'll call it an issue. Uh, I think, you know, all of us did some sort of recap or film review or something where it basically the message was he was not nearly as bad as the message board thinks there are things to work on but he's not he's not the liability that some make him out to be and Isaiah well we'll, I want to hear your thoughts on this I mean because you you were there at at the press conferences all week Um, obviously as Steve alluded to really an adamant defense of Wilton Spate and 
I mean, that's, is there really another option that you could honestly do? Like, I, you know, he's, unless, it, they, they would know by now if there was someone that could do the job better than him. I mean, Harbaugh preaches the meritocracy, and the fans seem to trust everything Harbaugh does until it's the quarterback, arguably the position he knows the most. And and this isn't, like, all fans, but it just seems like, I mean, you know, it almost seemed like, well, of course they're going to defend him. What on earth else would he do? I guess, what's what's your takeaway? Because we've had a few days, and we've seen some fans say their piece. We've seen the coaches and the players say their piece. I mean... Is Michigan, like, even considering another option? Are they even feeling the heat? Because my impression is that they don't they don't really care, and it's a, they're just using it as a weeder to see who their true fans are. Yeah, I, it's, it's so, it's such a weird thing going on because it, it, it's the, the, fan, the fan base that are clamoring and where Michigan actually stands inside their locker room are at such an insane divide. Uh, on top of being in the, you know, being at the press conferences, uh, uh, some of the people that I that I talk to that are close to close to the program, they they've told me that they that they're so behind Spate. It's not it's not even a question inside the walls of Schembechler right now. It's and when they went back and looked at this last game, the, you know, there's the two the two fumbles. One they determined, and they publicly said that it ended up being that it was. Kakoa Crawford was lined up too close to the line. The other one was just a freak occurrence, but you know that still goes on spate. Other than that, you want you always hear overthrow, overthrow, overthrow. According to to the person that I spoke to about it, they said that there were two out of the whole game, two throws that they said, yeah, you you shouldn't that that is something that you're going to want to correct. But the rest of it was fine, and they're they're so so behind them. We saw Harbaugh was very, 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 very testy. The first time I think we've seen him be that testy in a non-post-game appearance, (laughs) uh, I think, since we've, you know, since he's been with the team. I can't recall, I can't recall another, like, Monday appearance where it was that. I think in 2015, there might have been a couple that were, that were heated, but that was more just because they were, they were asking, like, dumb, digging questions that he wasn't, yeah. it's actually like he came in. It's again that some of these people I were speak that I was was speaking to had said that he was in a bad mood because of a lot of the spate criticism yeah. and having to deal with that. And he was like that before he got to the press conference. He was like that after he left the press conference. It, it, it is kind of insane the divide that currently exists as far as like the perception of the quarterback. Because what Michigan sees, they have they see a guy, and it's something that we'll we'll talk more about in the next uh, uh, in column form tomorrow. But they see a guy that's just a, a play or two away from really showing out, and the offense being a couple plays away from really clicking. Kind of like I mentioned about the Kevin Wilson thing. Like, yeah, we got still have the same offensive coordinator in Tim Drevno, and although all summer, you know, we you know we'd ask players when we had them and availabilities and during camps what's different about pep hamilton they'd say well nothing about verbiage i don't really buy that i think there is a bit that's different and you also obviously have a lot of young talent and i think it's just taking a minute for things to kind of coalesce because there is some things that that require processing Mm -hmm. 
and some uh, experience. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you hear like, why didn't why didn't Wilton Spate hit, you know, hit Donovan Peoples Jones on on that one throw? It's like, it, regardless of whether it's an overthrow or not, it, those two players are going to it's going to take them a minute to get on the same page. Unlike Amara Darbo and J.U. Chesson, who had been in the program for a while and Wilton had had time to connect with them during during the season, during the off season, such. So they were all on the same page. It, it might take a minute for everything to get on the same page. This isn't really surprising considering the early season nature of it all. Uh, yeah. yeah, they got out to a hot start. He got out to a hot start last year, but, you know, he also didn't have to play against Florida in the first game like he did this year. And he also wasn't getting just absolutely destroyed publicly by, uh, I'm not going to say a majority of the fan base, but a large vocal sect of the fan base that is, uh, that's trashing him. And I think that that, that plays a mental role, whether you like it or not, it's going to, because you, when you're seeing constantly that your fans don't like you, even though the majority might, they're just not going to be vocal about it. I think that that plays a role as well. Yeah, I think so too. By the way, you know, you mentioned they thought it was two. I counted three, but even still, I mean, you're talking about a tenth of his passes that were, uh, I will say, erroneous, you know, because obviously you can have passes that maybe weren't exactly where they needed to be, but there were like three passes that were troubling, troublesomely bad. But Steve, I, I want to get, I mean, because you, you're in the same boat as we are, but I do wonder, I mean, does he have something to prove this week? Because, you know, I remember I broke it down there are definitely some technique issues uh, with his foot placement. It does seem like some of his throws, maybe the authority and the emphasis and the confidence aren't quite there. Uh, and maybe that was Cincinnati and Florida doing a nice job. But, I, I mean, does he, is you know, going up against an Air Force team that we're going to talk about momentarily, you know, that's pretty young, certainly have an opportunity uh, to make some big plays, I mean, does he have something to prove this weekend, or or are you in the, in the camp that literally, if, if he just did exactly what he did last week, you know, it, it doesn't really matter, um, or is or do you think that there is something that he needs to show the staff or the team or the fans or maybe even just himself, honestly, this weekend? Maybe himself. Are you talking to referring to like? whether or not he needs to prove something to like maintain his status as the starter. Or no, no, no. Cause, cause obviously, I mean, just like when people criticize Harbaugh, it doesn't mean he needs to be fired. You know, if you can credit, you know, Spate can be mediocre and still be the starting quarterback and the best option. But I don't think he would tell you that his first two games went how he wanted them to go. I think he still wants to be a better quarterback. And I wonder if this is a, if this is a game where, Maybe he he needs to because you know if you have three games that you weren't thrilled with in a row, you know maybe that that impacts how you approach the season or how you approach the job. So not necessarily the starting job. I think I think we're all in agreement that that's pretty safe. But as far as progressing and and reaching his potential this season, uh, do you see this week as potentially a pivotal one given the matchup and also what had happened the previous two weeks? I, yeah, I think that is fair. Um... Again, I think within himself, the team obviously has his back. Harbaugh obviously has his back. And here's the thing, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that it, like way more fans support than don't. You know, fans, a lot of there's are certain fans out there who, you know, like I've always said that their like self-worth 
is tied into how Michigan football plays. And so if they see something they don't like or, you know, some a certain player or coach doesn't do what they deem an adequate job, their reaction is to attack and, you know, criticize. And I'm not saying that, like, that means you should never, like, you know, if you have an opinion on something, but some of these, like, comments on Spade are just so whack. Like, uh, like put it this way. For Harbaugh to go up there on Monday and say that that fumble in the exchange with Crawford was a coaching thing that needs to be changed, you know there are a ton of people out there who immediately say, no, I don't believe that. No, it was Spade's fault. You know, you know, no way. He's just making excuses for him. I know it. You know, like, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are thinking that when he says that. Yep. Some of them and, said uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, that's what I mean, though. It's like, you, you know. And, like, here's the thing is, like, I'm not going to go as far as, like, with Tim Drevno coming out and say that Spate isn't, none of the offense's issues are on Spate. I think it's hard to, dis- it's hard to agree with that fully. Um, it's just, you know, that it's so. You know, I get, I've gotten bashed for giving him a B freaking minus in the first two games. <laughs> if anything, I'd probably go back. I might have maybe changed the Florida grade to a little bit lower, but not the Cincinnati grade on Saturday. No way. I mean, you look at like, JT Barrett is making bad decisions with the football. Wilton Spate is not making bad decisions. He's not making accurate throws in certain instances. That's much more encouraging than somebody who is making poor decisions with the football. I mean, I just don't, I don't know if you can emphasize that enough, like what Spate's going through or, you know, are, are things that are so much more correctable uh, than, than, you know, a yeah. guy who's making crap decisions. Right. And so maybe that's factored into my grades. I still think like people freaking out about me giving him a B minus for a game where he had nearly a 60% completion percentage and two touchdowns and no turn. We had the one turnover. I'm sorry. On the one, on the fumble, you know, and maybe we'll give him a half, even though the coaches say that it wasn't on him. Like I said, people who are going to choose not to believe that are not going to believe that, um, you know, whatever. And it's, you know, I was reading Brian cook, you know, on the UFR yesterday, the offense, you know, saying that Spates only dropped two snaps. And it's not like it's a huge, one of them just happened to be in a huge spot. Yeah. And so that, you know, so now it's looked at as this huge issue. And the other thing with Wilton, I don't think the coaching, here's the one thing. I don't think the coaching staff did him any favors last year in not disclosing the severity of his injury. Because I think a lot of people out there, you know, of course he's, even though they ran the ball for like maybe two yards a carry in their three losses down the year last year, a lot of people still blame spate for all three of those losses yeah um he was hurt like legitimately hurt (laughs) but because the staff didn't ever really specify or elaborate on his injury i think people think that he really wasn't that hurt at all and wasn't playing through much you know that it was maybe a very minor injury when ohio state for sure he was definitely not 100 percent and probably really not even that close I mean, I'm not saying he was like 40 or 50, but I don't know, 70, 75, maybe. And I'd say probably 60, honestly. Yeah. Like he was not healthy, but because the staff like never did 
you know, they, I just don't think they did him any favors by kind of keeping that all a secret, you know, because then he became such a lightning rod. He's become such a lightning rod now uh, because he hasn't come out blazing to begin this season, you know, that it doesn't matter how he plays on Saturday as far as public perception. I mean, he could go 30 for 30 and it's not, not going to, you know, well, we don't beat Ohio state, you know, like it's just really, like that's what, no, but that, you know, that's what it's setting up for. You know, if Michigan goes to Penn State, let's say they lose, and let's say Spate even plays well, he's still going to get – he's still going to be the guy. Yeah, he didn't win the game the or whatever. Yeah, yes. Like, he's still going to be the guy that gets the majority of the criticism. So, um, you know, I know he's a chip-on-his-shoulder type guy, too. I think he can channel it to some progression in his play. I, it's kind of the way he's always – you know, Nick Baumgartner wrote a pretty good – column on him this morning about how Spate's definitely aware of like the comments that people make and what they that is spot on with him I know he does I know he reads the articles I know he reads the tweets um he's been that way since he was in high school so you know I mean he was because he kind of came into Michigan in that situation you know he was the three-star you know not really recruited very heavily kind of guy you know like why are we taking this guy you know type type thing you know he dealt with that when he was committed and signing with the program so um so yeah you know so i don't know i think again i think that to answer the question i think the biggest test will be just within himself uh yeah i that's what i think i don't think he has to prove the you know like i said to his teammates or the coaching staff cuz i think it's a legitimate they're legitimately behind him it's not a hey we're going on the offensive you know to just to try to keep his head above water so that he doesn't you know lose his confidence like I really it's pretty clear that they're fully behind him so uh I think yeah I think it's mostly maybe within himself yeah I I agree oh go ahead uh I just was thinking I, I this is a legitimate question out of all of the media outlets whether it be us uh, obviously, we know where the three of us stand. Uh, we know where, you know, like people like Nick Baumgartner, Angelique Angelis, so pretty much all of the local media stand, but a- even nationally. Have you, a- either of you heard anyone nationally even come out and say, you know, anything to the level of no. what we're nope. hearing? Because, like, I, pretty much everyone I've heard, I listen to a lot of Sirius XM, is they, they say, does he have to play better? Absolutely. But this isn't it isn't a problem. Yeah, no, I, I haven't heard anyone well, any media person say yeah. anything, yeah. Well that's what I said. Is it the difference between like my stance when I've been grading my stance is that he has to play better for Michigan to win big games. I've said that. I've written it ten freaking times in the last three weeks. The difference is that the people like uh, like in that camp think that he's not playing well, but there are tangible signs that it's something he can fix. It's the other side, the people who think he's to blame for everything that are insistent that, well, no, this is who he is. Nope. He's not going to fix it. This is Michigan's going to have to win in spite of him. Like he's not, he's not the quarterback. He can't take the next step. You know, it's a bunch of can'ts and won'ts when I think all, at least I've said, and yeah, like I think the rest of the people that, you know, like you guys who are even more on the ground with the team than I am, day-to-day on a day-to-day basis you know see that yes he's got to play better in a big game like there's no doubt about it like for them to win this year but there are signs that he can do it he's making the right decisions he's just his throws are off right now or uh, some of his throws are off 
Uh, yeah. You know, that's really what it, that's, that's the difference. Yeah. You know, again, I, well, I was just going to say, we might be here in a couple months and maybe he does, maybe he struggles against Penn state and Michigan gets beat. Right. It's not an, those people can't come back to like you or I or Isaiah or, or yeah, like Nick, Angelique and come back and say, I told you so, because nobody's eliminating the possibility that he might not win the big game. It's the fact that, like I said, there are tangible signs that he can take the step still. I think he's close, which we're talking mechanics here. We're not talking a mental case, like, you know, under center, a guy who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. We're talking about a guy who's not showing. I mean, he even, he, he told us what the issue is. Like, yeah. He and just, he, he, like minutes after right, the game. <laughs> right. You, and you, and like you said, Zach, you watch the game, you break it down. That's exactly what's going on. Yeah. If he fixes that. He's probably what twenty three for twenty nine on Saturday, right? I mean, he did. He made some bad throws on yeah. Saturday. There's no doubt yeah. about it. But he's probably, you know, and that's that's the thing. So, well, I think the so, other yeah, thing, I mean, just, and you kind of touched on it, is like, there. Everyone throws these stats about how many turnovers or what his completion percentage is over the last what five games that he's played, and it's like you're right. Half of them he was injured. The other half he has completely new receivers and tight ends. And yep. and against relatively experienced secondaries, not overly experienced. But so, yeah, if you lump those two factors in together, it might not paint a pretty picture for him. But I I don't know. I, I think we've yeah. we've probably hit every angle that we can here. If you want to read more about what we think of Wilton Spate, Michigan.247sports.com. I did a little bit, you know, going back to my days as a as a baseball pitcher. I mean, there's there is something to it to planning your feet and to um, not not aiming as much as throwing, and so I think that's something you can get back to. But honestly, you know, he's not out there completing 40% of his passes and throwing two picks. You know, when people say terrible, I think they need to have a little bit of perspective on what a good, uh, great, you know, terrible. I think I think the adjectives need to be a little more consistent because he certainly has not been terrible. That said. Uh, I don't think any of us would put him. I do have this question I want to toss around. Best, most impressive position group. I don't think any of us are going to say quarterback has been. I don't think Wilton Spate would say quarterback has been. But I am curious. You know, we're we're a couple games in. We'll probably start to do a ranking of the position groups uh, each week. Now that now there's been a couple games under our belts, but you know, looking defensive line, linebackers, uh, defensive backfield, quarterback, receivers, and tight ends. Uh, they can be separate if you want. Offensive line and special teams. I'm curious through two games, not just who has been the best, but who has impressed you the most. Isaiah, uh, let's have you go first. Who is which group has stood out to you? My inclination is to say the linebackers, but I'm going to go with defensive backs just because it was such an unknown going into the season what we were going to see, and they've. You know, you got that that first pass play deep on Lavert Hill. It's completed. It just kind of had that feeling like, oh, we might be in for you know the instantaneous. We might be in on for a long season here, but they've been really impressive. What they've been able to do, how much they've been able to to shut some things down. Granted, they're not going. They haven't gone up against any like real huge passing teams as of yet. So it, that's something to maybe temper the enthusiasm, but. It's been really kind of impressive what we've seen, particularly Levert Hill and Tyree Kennel do. Uh, 
it, and even Josh Metellus. Josh Metellus is playing out of his mind. I know he kind of does almost like a quasi, almost you know, he's not the Viper, you know, most of the time, but you know, he still kind of plays like it even when he's not. He's just been a force. Uh, it, it's been really, they've been really impressive to me. They've just been really, really phenomenal so far this year. And Steve, I, I have my choice, but I want to, I wanna, who, who's really, other than the secondary, because I think you're right, Isaiah. I, I was kind of expecting that to be not necessarily a problem area because they are talented and they're well coached, but maybe something, I thought maybe the learning curve would be a little, a little steeper there and it would take a, take a couple games, but um, perhaps in relation to the rest of the defense, not one quarterback has, I mean, you know, there was the Felipe Franks throw to Tyree Cleveland that was like a perfect throw and a perfect route. Other than that, there really hasn't been anything that you can, I don't know, I don't think you can really pin anything on the defensive backs as of yet. But Steve, who who has impressed you the most among the various position groups? I mean, if I was being honest, it would probably, defensive backs probably be number one with safeties in particular. Uh, but just for the sake of discussing a different position, even though it's a position where like not many individual players get a lot of attention, but running back, uh, you look at Ty Isaac, I think people kind of just figured that he is what he is. Uh, Cause he's been in Ann Arbor for a while now and we've seen enough of him to kind of just say, okay, well, this is what we're going to get from him. And then all of a sudden he just looks like a completely different player. Uh, that's crazy. I mean, again, like just, he does more than any other player on the roster. He's the guy who it's clear as day that he has made leaps and bounds, uh, both physically and mentally, in my opinion. I mean, here's the thing covered tie in high school. Like I have with most of these guys, another really quiet guy. Oh, he was a terrible quote. Right. Even right. last year. Well, yeah. Right. So you see him pounding his chest and getting all fired up. That's not, I've never seen him do that stuff. And, you know, I think that's a tangent. You know, we, it's kind of funny. We talked about, you know, I think it was last week or whatever, we talked about how the Cincinnati game could be a, a big boost for guys, the younger players who played well against Florida because now they've, like, done it and you can build off of that. Well, I think you're seeing that actually with Isaac, who I think is literally the most senior player on the team. Uh, there's just a different confidence there. It's tangible. You don't need to be an expert to see it. Uh, he's been really, really impressive to me. And uh, which then kind of goes down to the unit as a whole. Uh, I still think they're keeping Chris Evans fresh. Yeah. You know, I think they're going to start to use him in a lot of different ways too. Um, you know, the biggest knock on him last year, we said, is that not really a knock is that Michigan was like, loved his game so much that they were trying to figure out ways to get him the ball even though he wasn't fully acclimated with the playbook. Uh, well, that's not a problem anymore. So I think once the schedule ramps up, I think you're going to see them get him the ball in a, in a lot of different ways. Uh, but I would have to say running back. Uh, you okay. know, it's always hard to like, here's the thing. It's always hard to know how much of it is coaching, right? Like has Jay Harbaugh been the difference? I think it's not a huge secret anymore that there I don't think Ty Isaac and Tyrone Wheatley necessarily saw eye to eye whether I that think was that like, is fair to say <laughs> yeah and, uh, whether that was like a personally or was just the style that Isaac plays I don't know but it's he's had a rebirth I mean that's clear as enough and uh so I would yeah I would say even though Higdon is kind of he's been okay uh I would just say the running back unit as a whole I just based on obviously based on Isaac's production so far 
Yeah, I will say just a real quick to tie before I get to get to my position group. It's not just that he's a different player. He just seems and Isaiah, maybe you can speak to this too because you're in these press conferences. He just seems like a different like human being. It's like he just like suddenly woke up and I mean he he used to be like one of the worst quotes on the team and you know you can never get more than like you know a sentence out of him and now he might be at least among the the guys we get regularly I mean he's right up there with you know the very mature seasoned guys like Mike McRae, Mo Hurst I mean he he's very I don't know he just seems like you know you mentioned he's probably the most seniored tenured guy on the team he probably is uh given that he was playing back in what 2013 but yeah he just seems like a totally different person um and we'll see how long it you know translates into into good play but you know he's two for two so far in in being the offensive player of the week so michigan might have something there and i yeah i think it's a little bit of coaching but also i still i know we kind of downplayed experience all year or all summer, but I do think there is something to, you know, okay, I've been through a few camps. These things didn't work. I think I wrote this story last week. You know, Patrick Kugler, same thing. He said, you know, I was 0 for 4 in winning the starting job, and he was behind some good players, but, you know, he, he kind of tweaked things and said, okay, this camp I would like to not lose out on the starting job. And so, you know, I think you can make tweaks as you go, and, and you learn how to approach things and when to – when to work your hardest, when to maybe save your legs, and when to be smart, when to um, when to you know push yourself in different ways. So I think I think he's just really learned. Um, I think you're right. I'm not worried about Chris Evans. I mean, he looks you know in the three or four snaps he got, it just looked like they he he got hung out to dry a couple times, and then his feet were still moving. But my most impression impressive. I was actually like, oh go ahead. Ask me about about my opinion yeah Isaac. yeah uh 2015 averaged he only played in seven games so only got 30 attempts averaged just shy of seven yards uh carry 2016 averaged just uh about 5.6 which is uh still more than Devion so I mean it's the signs have been there for him is all I really wanted to say about it is well, yeah he's a top it, 60 it, recruit it, it hasn't it you know we haven't seen it but that, I feel like it's because he really hasn't had the chance, and now he's getting the chance. And that's also why I think he's been a better quote. It's a little bit different when you're, hey, buddy, so you didn't play. Yeah, what went wrong? <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> so it's now he's now he's had two games, and he's been you know he's been great. So it's like, hey, so let's talk about your big game. And I feel like that's got him kind of lit up a little bit. Yeah, and I think I think the belief that maybe I don't necessarily want to go in depth about you know. Tyrone Wheatley and Ty Isaac battle the ties or anything. But I think having someone, I mean, because he mentioned it with Jay Harbaugh, uh, you know, when when Ty Isaac messes up, Jay Harbaugh sits down and discusses with him, you know, why his mess up almost almost sounds like he was a camp counselor or like a second grade teacher. And like they have have a discussion about like what went wrong instead of just saying, Ty, go run stairs or or Ty, you know, go sit down. You're not going to take a snap the rest of practice. It seems like they actually believe in him and want him to figure it out, and I think that that translates into something. But my my most impressive position group uh, has has been the linebackers. I mean, they have. I mean, the numbers are there. I think I don't think anyone was necessarily worried about it about the position group. You know, you're, you're led by Mike McRae. 
uh, you know, Kalik Hudson and Devin Bush were guys that, you know, any all spring, all winter, also all summer, it was like these guys are going to be very good. Uh, they're very aggressive. They're very athletic. They can do things that, that maybe past Michigan linebackers couldn't do, even though they aren't fully experienced. But, man, I did not think that two weeks in I was going to be looking at Mike McRae as not necessarily he's doing anything wrong, but it, like both Devin Bush and Cleek Hudson have looked a little more athletic. They've been in on a few more plays. Uh, and, and, you know, I really thought Mike McRae was going to carry that unit a little bit more uh, than he has. And that's not to say he's done poorly. It's just the, the whole group seems really good. Uh, the rumblings about the freshmen and, and some of the other younger guys has been really strong. And, I mean, defensive line has probably been the best unit in my eyes. But I think the linebackers have been the most impressive because, I, you know, there were there were a couple questions about it. But then you got Devin Bush looking like NFL, well, maybe not NFL ready. That That might be premature. But just so fast. And hitting so hard and hitting the holes. So I mean, athletic. yeah. And the, I mean, the delayed blitz that he had in the first quarter against Cincinnati, it was it was just a thing of beauty. Just he was just like shot out of a cannon, and he gets the quarterback after like a four second delay. You know, it's I don't know. I think I think the future is really really bright at linebacker for Michigan, even if it's not the same kind of. You know, there aren't going to be Ben Gideon, Joe Bolden, Jake Ryan type of guys who are really big bruising linebackers they're going to be fast guys who can still hit hard uh but speed is definitely their mo so they've they've really impressed me uh, i agree with steve and also isaiah defensive backs and running backs i mean you weren't sure exactly what you were going to get um wide receiver and tight end would be on my list as well i mean they certainly miss some assignments and there are some miscommunications but i'm really impressed with how the receivers have blocked and also, I mean, Sean McCune and Zach Gentry, for guys that did not make, you know, anyone's watch list for, for most important players this year or weren't necessarily going to be offensive, I mean, they're building a lot of trust really quickly. And that, that comes from being very consistent off the ball and then also being there when needed uh, on the ball. So, yeah, I guess that's that's who has impressed us so far. Uh, we'll see this weekend. Could be an interesting matchup against Air Force. Uh, Air Force, if you don't know, Service Academy. Uh, hopefully you all knew that. But also they run a triple option. They do not get the recruits that other teams do. So from a talent perspective, they're kind of in a low major territory. I think they're 150th in our team talent composite. But they run a triple option offensive scheme. And across the board, very disciplined, technically sound, don't make a lot of mental mistakes, uh, at least at least normally speaking. But they're also one of the youngest teams. They're younger than Michigan, you know, in all those experience charts that I think most Michigan fans have kind of deemed irrelevant. But it might be a little more relevant in this matchup. So let's we'll start with Steve. Uh, I just want to hear your general general outlook on the game and possibly maybe something Michigan should be concerned of. Or something, something to watch. We'll we'll have our bold predictions after we go around. Um, but I do just just general thoughts. Well, you know, you talked about McCray. I don't really think he played that well last week. Uh, I didn't want to say it, but gonna, yeah. No, I mean it's no, it is what it, I mean. It's you know, it's whatever. I think he'll, again, he's just proven himself enough. I think he'll get. You know, I don't think he'll have another game like he did on Saturday. Uh, 
provided he's fully healthy, not to go aside, but remember he didn't even start against Florida in that weird situation. You kind of wonder if he's a hundred, like a hundred percent. He's obviously healthy enough to play, but is he playing at a hundred right now? Um, I mean, I think it's typical stuff you talk about when you talk about air force discipline. I think it's a good opportunity for Michigan's defense to, uh, you know, to play assignment football defensively and uh, for a, a younger defense they yes, they're still younger. They've been playing really well, but they're still young. I think it'll be an interesting test, you know, for those backers, um, and, and Winovich too. I think Winovich is a guy had a good game, but bit a few times on those option pitches on the outside. And, uh, you know, they're going to test that stuff all game. I think you play a triple option. It's as much mental as it is physical. As far as, you know, for air force, they just, they're probably, I would assume I, I'm probably wrong here, but I'm just kind of winging it and thinking that their mentality is like, Hey, if we just hit on like, seven or eight of these plays in the game, we could probably score like 28 points, you know, and like, uh, you know, hit like five or six, like, you know, long runs. And that's if you're not, you know, that's if one guy misses one assignment. It's always a possibility. So uh, it'll be a really good test of Michigan's discipline defensively and offensively. I think we already kind of talked about it. I'm assuming air force is going to try to do whatever they can to stop Michigan from running the football and then force spade to beat him with his arm. I mean, I, just the way where we're at right now. And uh, so we'll see what he can do. Uh, maybe Gentry will be one of my bold predictions again this week. I know I was really close last week, which would have been one of the best bold prediction calls of all time in my, in my uh, opinion. But uh, that's my thing. I, like I said, defensively, just staying disciplined and offensively, I think it's kind of what we already talked about. Spade, they're going to try to make Spade beat them with his arm. How about you, Isaiah? Uh, uh, let's see. Bold prediction. I'm going to go with, I, I, I think that you're going to see, because I think Michigan's really, I, I, this is very something I'm very hesitant about because it's kind of the opposite of what I've been planning to predict all week long, the more I looked at it. But I think like after hearing just more and more about like the, you know, Michigan's game plan, different things, I think that they're going to hold Air Force to, I'm not going to say something crazy like 50 yards rushing like I did last week. I'm going to – I'll give them over 100, but I'm going to say 125. I'm going to say wow. that you can hold okay. them to 125 rushing. And that is for, – for those who don't know much about Air Force, that is a huge, bold prediction. Yeah. Because that, that's like all of their yards. <laughs> okay. Well – I guess we can we can start our bold predictions now. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't yeah. realize that we were doing that because Steve yeah. said that whole, they started doing the bold prediction thing. So yeah, I no, I yeah, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, I guess I guess you know we kind of kind of hammered out the general thoughts. I mean, offensively, I might look at it a little differently than Steve, and maybe maybe I'll be wrong here, but I almost see it as like because they lost their their number one running back from last season. They lost their number one receiver a guy who was so good I mean he was the best receiver they've ever had you know and that he actually almost got out of the service obligation because he was the NFL teams wanted him but I think they, they're they missing a little bit of that so I think their MO is going to try to be just to wear down Michigan's defense I mean I don't think they're going to have a lot of success in that regard uh, but I don't know if they're necessarily going to do the big play unless Michigan starts you know stacking the box or or acting as if there's only one play option. By the way, if you don't know, Air Force runs the ball 84.6% of the time. They're number two in the country last season in that regard. I just, I don't know if they're necessarily going to go for the big play. So 
my oh gosh, I really should have thought of some bold predictions. Um, my number one, Michigan does not allow a play of more than twenty yards. I think it's something that they noticed last week. I mean, we talked about it. I think Isaiah and I were talking about this the other day. If Cincinnati doesn't get that fluke forty-six yard scramble from Hayden Moore, Cincinnati scores seven points in that game. And if they don't fumble on that punt. You know, you're talking about a shutout against against the Bearcats. So I'm going to I think it's kind of bold. No play of over 20 yards. Um, number two. Well, now we can just all keep going. We can keep bouncing around. Steve, what do you got first? Uh, I was going to say sacks, which would have been stupid in this game to predict anything regarding sacks. Uh, I'm going to say. I'm going to say Michigan forces three fumbles. I think they they're just too quick. I think they're too fast. I think they're going to they're going to get Air Force a few times. I think they force three fumbles. I will not predict how many they recover though cuz it's always a total crapshoot. Yeah. Okay. All right, Isaiah, what's next? I'm going to say Donovan Peoples-Jones takes one to the house on punt. Uh, okay. I think he's been clo- I think he's been clo- uh obviously we didn't get to see him really last week because he called him off and whatever. Uh, we saw obviously what happened there. Uh, I think he's just got that, you know, elite talent. I, you know, even even with uh, with Air Force being really disciplined and everything, I think the focus this week is really going to be able to, you know, be to getting the ball in and people's hands and getting him in space. Uh, really, just on getting those blockers in position, the gunners in position, and everything. And uh, I think you're you're going to see a big uh, big play from him. Uh, he was pretty close. To, to getting it against Florida. I think he gets it against Air Force. Okay, okay. See, I'm I'm kind of torn. Oh, by the way, if he takes it to the house, I'll be very upset because I predicted him to do so last week, and mm-hmm. it almost like a week the, too early. Almost the opposite happened. Yeah, I'm kind of torn. I mean, St- you know, Steve mentioned this a few moments ago where you know Air Force is going to stack the box and force Spate to pass, but also I think, I think Michigan's going to, try to really work on on its run game a little bit too and it's run blocking because that's if there is a weakness on the offensive line right now it's it's run blocking but i will i will say spate (laughs) throws for uh three touchdowns i was gonna say 300 yards but i'm just i'm just a little wary that you know they're not even gonna care about yards they're just gonna care about score so i'll say he throws for three touchdowns and quiets the critics with his play. I think I think he does better. I think you know Air Force does not have much of a pass rush. They they do not have. I think they have like one of their two deep uh, secondary pieces coming back. They have nobody coming back in in the, in the defensive line. They have. Grant Ross coming back in linebacker, but it's it's a very, I mean, really, really young unit. And I think that will show the most in the pass defense. So I think Spate gets three touchdowns and and quiets the critics. Steve, bold prediction number two. There's no way he quiets the critics, like, no matter how good he plays, in my opinion. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I guess that's probably true. <laughs> What's your definition of a critic? If it's Twitter egg, then there's zero chance. Not Twitter egg. Twitter Not egg. Twitter egg, but okay. uh, let the record show Zach gets zero critic? points for. It. Yeah. Uh, yeah right. It's an un. Yeah, he can't. No matter what. No. Uh, the, we'll find one. Brown. 
the reasonable, the rational fans that have really turned on us this week, you know, even when we're not writing about spate, they're still telling us that spate is garbage and needs to be benched. So I'll I'll say quiets. I won't say silences. How about that? No, we'll be fair. We'll be fair to you as far as how we evaluate that post game then. Cause yeah, I mean, there's going to be people who aren't not going to matter. So, um, another bold prediction. Um, I think Chris Evans, is it bold? Is this, It's kind of weird. We're only in week three. Is it bold to say that Chris Evans is going to have 100 all-purpose yards? I mean, is that bold I don't enough? think so. You think they You think they give him the rock enough for that to happen, though? I, I, think, I think maybe he breaks a big play somewhere in there and then gets there. Because uh, I toyed with it. I, you know, yeah. I mean, on right, the, on the right. radio, like he's going to be faster than anyone they have. We had 78. You know, he still had 78 rushing against. Florida, Florida that's kind yeah. Of the thing is, yeah, you know, and he hit 23 carries in that game. So, how about 120? He'll go, we make it legitimately bold. I'll say Chris Evans gets 120 all-purpose yards on Saturday. All right, Isaiah. How, what combo? Oh. What the combo is? I don't know. Sorry, I was just saying. Okay. I don't know what the combo will be. Okay, Isaiah, number three for you. I am going to say Josh Metellus has a, his breakout game, and he gets. I'm going to say he has or more tackles. I know that's not a very high number. He's got six total right now, though. Uh, I think just yeah, obviously they're going to be looking for the safeties. Uh, they're going to do, you know, when they, when, when they know it's going to be a run, when they see the formation and they think it's definitely going to be a run, it, safety play is going to be so paramount. And I think Josh Metellus has just got some insane speed, knack for getting to the ball. Uh, I'll, I'll throw in just for, for fun, I'll throw in two tackles for loss. Uh, so six tackle, six or more tackles, two tackles for loss. Uh, I think you're just, he's just going to have a monster game. We've seen it already from Devin Bush. We've seen it from Tyree Kennel. Uh, we haven't talked about Kalik Hudson, even though he's been pretty solid. But I think it's, it's going to be the Josh Metellus show on uh, on Saturday. Okay. You know, I really I really thought about doing a Chris Evans one because I think he has the potential. I'm covering my bases just in case he does go off. By the way. I think he has the potential to have a monster game because he is just going to be faster than than the players Air Force will have trying to defend him. And I think I think because he didn't he had quieter games against Florida and Cincinnati, I wonder if Air Force has the perception maybe they aren't spending as much time game planning for him. I mean I'm sure they are aware of what he can do, but I wonder if they're forgetting about him a little bit. Um that said, you know, Steve took it and and we'll see. I I guess I will say no you're fine. Um I um, I'll I'll do a negative one. At least a, for, for a negative one toward Michigan. I think Michigan gets six or fewer tackles for loss in this game. Uh, I think and that's not necessarily the end of the world. I still think Michigan is going to win, but I think, you know, without the sacks and with with cuz they're not going to pass nearly as much and then also I really think Air Force's approach is not going to be, let's get lucky here. I think it's going to be kind of like a Virginia or Wisconsin basketball. You know, I think it's going to be, we are going to take our sweet old time. You know, we're going to go three yards at a time, four yards at a time, marching down the field. And every play we do is going to gain yardage. And and we're just going to gonna hope that that, that kind of wears them out because we probably aren't going to have the big play threat. Uh, I already predicted no big plays. So I will say six or fewer tackles for loss. Michigan's defense kind of feels weird to say that, but I th- I think it's just going to be one of those games where Michigan, well, we'll talk about the scores in a little bit, but I don't I don't think this is going to be a, 
you know, hammer and beat down 49 nothing or anything. I think this is going to be a game that, you know, the casual fan is not quite as thrilled with. Uh, Steve, I think you have one more prediction to do, right? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, I think you can tell I really thought these out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Nate. I think Nate Shanley gets his first career reception on Saturday. Okay. Did he not have one? I think that's kind of bold, isn't it? No, I don't think so. Okay. He was out there. He was. He got called for holding. On oh, that's right. Race. On Ty Isaac's big. Or on the Isaac run. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, I think he gets his first. I don't know. Like you know, maybe that's a lukewarm, bold prediction. I guess. I just. I think he plays. I think he gets his first career reception. So. Okay. Someone's playing that's not to true. lose at this point. Congrats on the future reception, Nate. <laughs> All right, let's do game balls. Uh, Isaiah, go ahead. Uh, even though I, I have a big thing for Josh Metellus uh, there, I'm going to go with Devin Bush. Still think he, he pretty much could have gotten the game ball in either of them. Tyree definitely uh, was equal to him there, but uh, last game. But uh, another game where it's really big for linebackers. So I'm going to go with Devin Bush again. Definitely a big game for linebackers. I will say, well, since I said he'd throw for three touchdowns, Wilton Spate probably gets it. Uh, my other one, uh, well, I kind of want to say Tyree Kinnell, but I, I guess I'll I'll stick with Spate for now. Steve? I got to go with Hudson. You know, he got, he, Isaiah goes with Bush. I'm going with Hudson uh, in a weird way. So, he, you know, we a lot of hype coming into the season. He's statistically has really, in my opinion, been just as impressive as Devin Bush has. He just hasn't. We haven't heard about him maybe as much. Um, I mean, he leads the team in sacks. I think he leads the team in tackles for a loss right now too. I mean, it's got. I think it's close, but um, I think he's going to tee off on an, an offense. Yeah, you got. It is definitely a linebackers game if you're Michigan. Um, I think he's going to tee off on on the triple option. So bad matchup for Air Force. I mean, Michigan's linebackers are just too athletic in this game for them yeah. to. You know, even if they make a slight mistake, they have the athleticism to correct it pretty quickly. So, um, you know, this is a different Michigan team than, say, the last time Michigan played Air Force under Brady Hoke. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's fair to say. It's way faster. I think it's going to be a bigger problem for him on Saturday. All right, let's 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 run through, wrap it up. Game ball and score, or we, we just did game ball. We'll do score predictions. Sorry, had a had a, had a brain toot there. Score predictions. I can I can go first. I said 32-17 on the radio today. I think you have to think about it a little more. I don't know that Air Force is going to hit the scoreboard that much. So I will say Michigan 32, Air Force 10. Yeah, I'll say 32-10. I, 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 part of me thinks Air Force can probably score a couple more times. but uh, But I think this is a game that Michigan might not look that much like a blowout. It's not going to look like last year's blowouts. Uh, I think it's going to be a little closer, but I think it's going to be one of those games that we're sitting in the press box or working on the sidelines, and we're like, this is not a close game. It just looks like a close game on the scoreboard. Steve, what do you got? So I was going to say 31-10 to 10 myself, actually. Um, 31-10. to 10, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no, okay. You got one more point than I do. That's fine. I, yeah. I, I usually kind of go with the off-the-wall off score predictions, so... Well, I'll stick to a kind of a generic one. I'll say 31 to 10. I honestly don't know how Michigan's going to score 32. That's just the name number that came to me. So I might Maybe be. Maybe safety. Yeah. Another bad punt snap will get them there. Well, it'd be, it'd have to be a couple safeties. So if they scored four touchdowns, they need four points. Oh, well. Isaiah, your score prediction. Double. Uh, you're looking for an elusive double safety. Yeah, there. That would be quite the game. That would be the bold prediction. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
I was going to say going in until I made my bold predictions, uh, 35 to 21, but I'm going to revise that because of my bold prediction to limiting them to 125 yards or less on the ground. Which yeah, three touchdowns on 120 yards. <laughs> yeah, so that's a kind of impossible. So uh, I'm going to say 35 to 14. Uh, I think they get they get two touchdowns some way, somehow, Yeah. whether it be on special teams or, you know, one on special teams or both on offense, maybe – Maybe they have a short field position or maybe they just they have a, you know, one of those that's considered that looks like a run, but it's considered a pass play that ends up going uh, going down the distance. So, OK, 35 to 14. I will say, guys, you know, I did some research on Air Force and how they've done in big games. Now, this is not going to be the best. This is not last year's Air Force team. This is as far as youth and experience goes. This is much more similar to the uh, two in 10 2013 team. But they have a history. I mean, they held Oklahoma to a three-point loss. They held Michigan State the year they won the Big Ten in 2015, probably the best Michigan State team of D'Antonio's tenure. They held them to, I think, a 14-point win. You know, they, they can keep it close. So we are all a little bold there looking at a few three-score victories. But that's what we think is going to happen. Uh, you've heard our thoughts about Michigan in the latest, uh, hopefully, you enjoyed it hopefully you learned something this has been the wolverine 24 7 podcast football season is in full swing having a great time uh be sure to subscribe listen to our past episodes if you want read all of our content at michigan.247sports.com uh, we've got stuff i mean tons of stories each and every day looking at michigan looking at the opponent looking at you know the latest storylines uh, highly recommend it of course uh, i am biased and they did pay me to say that Anyway, this has been the Wolverine 24-7 Sports Podcast. For Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull, I'm Zach Shaw, and we'll see you next time.